The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month... Learn about access to Disney theme parks through audio description. Plus, a fall and winter fashion review for ladies and teens from Lynn Cooper. Welcome to ACB Reports for October 2009. What better place to learn about the new accessibility features of Disney theme parks than during the annual convention of the American Council of the Blind, which was held this year in Orlando, Florida. Rick Moran, an active member of the Bay State Council of the Blind, and Jay Cartinelli, Worldwide Safety and Accessibility Manager for Disney Parks and Resorts, told the assembly about new accessibility through audio description at Disney properties. My name is Rick Morin. Kim, thank you so much. Mitch, thank you for the time on the uh, agenda this morning. As Kim said, I work for HP. I actually worked for EDS. EDS is based out of Plano, Texas. That was the company that was uh, started by Ross Perot uh, way back when. I've been very fortunate and been employed by them for 32 years, and they were recently purchased by Hewlett Packard. Um, Jay Carnali and I met a couple years ago in a guest experience uh, environment. I went to Disney World. I had some questions about accessibility at, at the parks, and I contacted Jay after my visit and um, found out kind of on the periphery that there was this great development going on at Disney World that I wanted to learn more about. And uh, Jay uh, was not in a position at that time to talk much about it. But then two years later, I'm working for HP, which happens to be one of the partners that was developing that project. So Jay and I now have a professional relationship as well as a customer relationship. And Hewlett Packard is very proud to be part of this collaboration that was actually done between HP, Disney, and WGBH uh, and others. Now, what this is all about, I'll tell you a couple stories and I'll turn it over to Jay. I went to Disney World in April of this year with my kids during school break and found out from Jay that attraction description was available for my use. This is a phenomenal use of technology uh, which gets me excited from a lot of perspectives because one of the things I do in HP is I work on mobile technology. So this is a great example of how you take mobile technology. You know, there are people here that have used Trekker and GPS devices, right? So you're used to having a handheld device in your hand, having it uh, give you some instructions from time to time. Uh, now picture that same device, that type of device being the delivery mechanism for audio description in an attraction at Disney World. Now, I'm very, very independent. I love to go through the theme parks by myself. Over the years, I've become a little bit kind of gun-shy going into some of the attractions because there's a lot that I just can't take in. So here you go. You put on headsets. You have this uh, attraction description device. You go through the attraction. It describes for you, very similar to what you would experience in a movie, the attraction. The part that was so fulfilling for me, the part that got me so excited was I've been going to Disney World since 1977. Back in 77, they, they had the Haunted Mansion. They had It's a Small World. They had some other things. Uh, I've probably uh, been to Haunted Mansion 100 times. After attraction description, I just flew back to the hotel and I said to my wife, Nancy, there's some things in the Haunted Mansion I bet you've never seen. And she said... Yeah, I've been in there a bunch of times. I said, did you know that there was a haunted staircase? She goes, no, there's no haunted staircase. I said, well, come on, let's go. So we, we went on and, and I'm listening and, you know, they, they, you're cued where there's this haunted staircase. And she said, my God, there is, you know. 
So that really turned the tables. The independence is, is something that's very important uh, for me, and, and I find this attraction description being just a phenomenal, phenomenal tool to help people be independent in the theme parks. There's never been a better time to go to Disney World. I encourage everybody to go to Disney World. And one rule of thumb that I'll tell you, and I won't steal Jay's thunder, but when you go to Disney World, stop first at guest relations and just chat with those folks. They are expertly trained. If you have special needs, uh, if you're a low vision person and are required to sit up close, they can uh, make arrangements for that. Just explain to them what your situation is, and they'll be very happy to help you any way they can. One of the primary reasons why I felt it important to be here today is that, you know, the timing here is phenomenal because we have the audio description project, which is basically a major part of the convention this year. The attraction description thing happened uh, through a happy coincidence right at the same period of time. I also know, though, having talked to many theater operators in the Boston area, that audio description is available but underutilized very much by the community. Uh, I find out a lot of times that folks don't even realize that some of these accessibility accommodations exist. I think there's a big portion of the blind community that are kind of half in denial that they're visually impaired and they're kind of hard to reach. I think we as advocates need to get the word out that technologies such as attraction description exist, they're available, and we need to go use them. Thank you. Um, Disney has gone to great expense to make this technology available to us. Go out there and enjoy it. Uh, have a good time. But we as advocates need to let folks know that that stuff's out there. And let's try to reach out to those people who don't want to use white canes because they're afraid that they don't want to be, you know, the kind of the unreachable group of blind people that are somewhat in denial. They can benefit from this stuff just as much as, as we can. So with that, I'll turn it over to Jay Carnally. Jay has been with Disney since 1988 and is the uh, manager of uh, guest services worldwide, as Kim said. And he's got a lot of uh, background in the travel industry. As Rick said, I'm here to talk a little bit about a new service available at Disney parks and resorts here and in California at Disneyland called Attraction Description. The brief, quick answer is it is like audio description that you would get at movies. It is available at Walt Disney World 30 attractions spread across our four parks. Um, the device is available at guest relations for your use. Um, it is free of charge. There is a refundable deposit required. What I'd like to do is give you guys, and I'm talking to the folks who understand what audio description is, so I'm not going to go into what exactly that is. Let me give you our intention of it. Our intention of it is to convey certain of the visual elements that take place in our attractions. But let me give you a little bit of the history about how we got to where we are so that you understand some of the work that went into it. In the early 2000s, we had developed a service that provided text captioning on a handheld device. As we looked at upgrades to that system, um, we brought up the concept of audio description again. Um, it was a service we had looked at in the late 90s, but due to technology and some of the constraints of our attractions, it was not a viable service at that time. When we looked at technology, again, probably 2003, we started looking at the service. Um, there were a couple challenges we needed to overcome. One is battery life. Do we have a device that can live 18 hours a day so it covers our parks from opening to close? One is the elements. Is it something that can live in the lovely Florida liquid sunshine that happens every afternoon? 
Can it live up to our guest usage because it's not their personal device? Our guests sometimes are not the most delicate with some of our equipment. Does it have enough memory and content to do audio? Text files are minuscule. Audio files, not so small. So working with our partners at HP, a company called SoftTech, which helps do software and packaging for us, um, and then leveraging Disney technology, which is patented, we looked at all of these things and we decided, yeah, we think we can solve some of the technical problems that go into trying to provide an audio service. And then you come up to the creative ones. Okay, if we can do it, what do you do? So we leveraged some other partners we had, WGBH, National Center for Accessible Media. They came up and you know, we talked to them about it early on and we said, hey, we're thinking about doing this. We know you've done movies, you do them for our company, our parent company. Um, what do you think about doing them for attractions and some other things? And they went, never been done. Mm, could be cool, but it's never been done. So we looked at it. We started working really hard back in 2006, looking at exactly what we wanted to do. We picked seven attractions at Epcot, looking at the variety of attractions we have. You've got theaters, which are basically a straightforward type of application. Um, it's kind of like going to a movie. But when you get into moving rides and where to trigger content, and you get into rides like boat rides that actually don't have show scenes, they just kind of continue on, it becomes a bigger challenge to provide the right type of assistance in the right order at the right time so that we're not making our guests crazy. So we looked at that two years or so ago. We did some prototyping of it. And then we go back and we do what we always do at Disney. Okay, we've got an idea. We've got a product we think we want to provide, but we're never going to let our guests look at it until we're sure it's pretty good. Um, so we start with our cast members. We have a, we call it a diversity resource group. It's called Castable. It's a group of cast members with disabilities and their family members which we use as an internal benchmark on services that we want to look at. And we brought those folks in and we did some testing for them. We then reached out to community groups as well, um, the lighthouse and, and, and some other folks in the local area brought them out and said, okay, we've tested these seven attractions, what do you think? And the feedback was good. There was a lot of tweaking in between the day one rollout and as we got forward. And then about a year ago, we got to a place where we thought the product was pretty good. And in fact, we were so confident in the attraction description piece of it, we just decided to go ahead and roll it out at the other parks that we own domestically. So that's the brief overview. So currently today, again, there is attraction description available at all of our domestic parks. Devices are available at Guest Relations. And again, it is free of charge for the service. And we're hoping that we've got it relatively good and we're constantly tweaking. And in fact, we've got a group going out on Thursday to give us a little bit of additional feedback as well so that we can take a look at, at the service and tweak it some more. While these services are available free of charge to guests at Disney parks and properties, a significant deposit is required when using the equipment. To learn more, contact guest services at the Disney Resort of your choice or the American Council of the Blind, whose contact information will appear at the end of this program. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Now here's Lynn Cooper from the Mirrors Project with a fall and winter fashion overview for ladies and teens. Well, thank you, Mike. It is my pleasure once again to uh, check in with our seasonal fashion updates. And I also wanted to give a shout out to all of the folks who came out for our sessions at the Orlando Convention. Those were so much fun. Wasn't it a hoot? And you you were heroic. 
little did you know that we would have marathon sessions, but therein lies the need for this. And without all of our wonderful audience members and listeners and those giving feedback and input, we would not have uh, been able to put together the shows that we did, which are upcoming. Am I right, Mike? That is correct. We're going to have segments from those live sessions here and there as we uh, go through the next uh, few shows here on ACB Reports. Fall and winter 2009-2010 is really very, very strong and powerful. The economy is challenging, shall we say. Usually fashion will react to what is happening in the economy, what is happening in the culture. What is interesting to me and I think to others is that in reaction to these times that require us to be strong, to be more diligent with our budgets, to be leaner and meaner, if you will, in our spending habits, so too are the lines and the styles and the looks of the clothing. We're seeing very strong, powerful statements in these uncertain times. And my theory is that in weathering the storm, it's giving people a don't-mess-with-me look. This is requiring us to grab down deep and to find the strength we need to hang on in there until times get better. We are seeing them in more of strong cuts and lines and things like wide shoulders. Back in the 80s, I'm sure many of our viewers, especially women, will remember the wide shoulders. And this was affected with shoulder pads and what have you. And truly, that was at a time when there was dressing for success. It was the big thing as women were starting to gain power in business, we wanted to affect a look of masculinity. Hence came the big, wide shoulders and kind of that running back look. So we have that returning. So we're going to think strong and dramatic, and we're going to think lean, very, very lean. So one of the real big looks, and this is once again what we're giving our viewers, our disclaimer is we do not expect you, nor are we advising you to rush out and buy these things, but this is what is being shown in the editorial, as they call them, pages of magazines. Thigh-high boots. Yes, I said thigh-high boots. And they're worn in lieu of tights. They are often and usually very high heels, platforms as well, where that is a raised sole to add even more height, if you can imagine it. And these are boots that would be like leather boots, dress boots, but they're over the knee. For an average uh, height woman, they would probably come into the middle of her thigh. Do they come with walking lessons? Yeah, right, right, right. (laughs) Unfortunately, they do not, Mike, but that is a very, very good point. Um, I've known people who've fallen off of their heels in the past and been in a cast up to their hips, so we have to be very, very careful, needless to say. If one is visually impaired, you can't always monitor the ground you're walking on and and the surface. So once again, this is really, really, really fashion forward. But these are things that if we maybe for fun bought them years ago, if you are going to buy a pair of these, please don't go to the high-end stores. You know, you don't want to ever do anything this fashion forward. If you are putting an investment wardrobe together, a capsule wardrobe, that's not going to give you as much bang for your buck because you're not going to wear these very often. But... Keep them around because we see once every maybe five, six years, things like this come back. Another real big look for women is capes, and this is fun. The fun part about some of these looks, because they do go back to the 1980s, is that you can get them when you take your friend, your human mirror, 
your partner and you scour a vintage clothing store, a secondhand shop, a Salvation Army, okay? The capes look, um, some of us wore ponchos, I think we uh, remember those, shawls, stoles. A shawl would be triangular, you throw that over your shoulders or can actually tie it. A stole is essentially like a wide, long scarf, and that is um, worn usually for dressing in the evening, so if you have a sleeveless shirt, that's something over your shoulders. Wraps and then ponchos are big. These go from day into evening, and in some climates, they can take the place of a jacket for a really nice, mild day. They're in all types of fabrics and prints, and they're really dramatic. You can find them long. I mean, very, very dramatic would be long to one's ankles. But, you know, for day, if you wish to uh, replace your coat with it, they would be to your knees or little capelets, which would be maybe just past the elbow. And a cape implies there are slits on the sides for your hands to come out. And a really cool look is a pair of long gloves. Leather, woohoo! Now, for all of our friends that uh, don't wear leather, this is probably not the look you want to turn to, but leather is really big. Leather jackets, dresses, leather blouses, leather skirts, and a big look, of course, for our skinny, mini 19-year-old listeners and young listeners or adventurous older listeners are leather shorts. There are leather pants, which is, you know, nothing too new, and leather leggings. Tricky part of leather leggings is that, like leather pants, they will stretch in the knee. So if one sits and your knee bone in a pair of leather pants and they're tight, just like in leggings, uh, they will stretch out and you cannot get them back to shape. So it's probably not a great look and leather hats. It's uh, what we're calling the biker chic look. It's like a biker babe, essentially. Black, always smart and safe. Monochromatic and mono, meaning one, and chromatic, chroma, meaning color, essentially means one color. So we're not seeing a lot of multicolored leather pieces. We're also seeing them in earth tones. Then we go to what we're calling the dandy look. And a dandy was, oh, I think somewhat derogatory term used back in the late 19th century to refer to an upper-class gentleman. And he would be dressed very appropriately, you know, the watch fob on the chain and the cravat and the lace ruffled shirt and, you know, up to his chin and the multi-layered vests and jackets and maybe a walking cane. And, you know, you think Oscar Wilde, it evokes aristocracy and wealth. Uh, high collars, ruffles, and bows, tweeds, real lush fabric in a combination, uh, cinched waists. It all kind of has a slightly masculine feel. Remember, we're talking women's wear. Gold is another big look. You know, every season, pretty much they can go one of maybe two ways, possibly four ways, copper, bronze, maybe pewter, silver, or gold. And in fabrics as well as jewelry, this season we're seeing gold tone. Then another look, which is a great, easy one to get into one's wardrobe economically, and really economically if one knits or has an Aunt Betty that does, are chunky knits. And these are found in dresses, sweaters, and accessories. I have a hand-knit big chunky handbag. Extremely thick, a lot of times open-weaved, interrupted, more arty-looking, worn over tight jeans or leggings. Once again, for a casual look. 
and the country look. This is, just as it says, whether the country be Montana here or the English countryside, earth tones, thick, woolly fabrics, sweaters, turtlenecks, blanket coats. And, and what that means, Mike, is a real thick, not real easy to wear if you're allergic to wool, but a real thick blanket, really, fabric made into a coat, oftentimes with a pattern, like a Navajo blanket in the pattern. That is a real big look. And then, of course, we're going to go back to broad shoulders, as I started with. Very 1980s exaggerated, so we want to make sure, because that shoulder seam is going to be extended as well. Even if down the road we say, oh, okay, let's take the shoulder pad out, doesn't automatically become a current blouse then once broad shoulders are out. So we have to be really careful about that. If you're not going to be spending a lot, you want a fashion forward piece to wear with what we're still seeing to the knee or just below, very lean, there's that word again, skirts, we're calling them pencil skirts. And uh, that's kind of fun. If we have a very narrow bottom, this big exaggerated shirt or blouse is great fun. But once again, we don't want to spend too much money on that because that's probably not a classic. Another real big look for women is a one shoulder, just as it says, one shoulder missing where the top of the dress, top of the blouse, top of the T-shirt, whatever it is, the top would be off of one shoulder. And usually it's with draping, as you can imagine, if fabric is not being used for another shoulder. As I said, dresses, gowns, blouses. Then a really big look is a military trend. Now, I'm not talking about fatigues or camouflage, you know, the big print to blend in with the uh, flora and fauna, nor am I talking about multi-pocketed kind of safari wear, things that would be worn in desert warfare. I'm speaking of a dress uniform, if you will. Imagine a Marine and a lot of buttons and very crisp, uh, usually dark colors, and actually something that would be worn by like a high school drum major, if you will, with gold braiding from side to side with buttons. These are pieces that are getting real hard to find because the fashionistas are all over them on eBay and uh, in the vintage stores, but Every now and again, you can run across them, and that is really a fun look to wear with just a regular turtleneck and a pair of jeans. The jeans are getting very, very, very slim. In pants, we're seeing a menswear look, which would be pleated, sort of a 1940s menswear look. But for the most part, in jeans, for men and women, they're lean. They're very, very, very snug. Once again, I believe reflecting the economy. Then we have the biker look, which is big in menswear, too, and that is studs, kind of like, uh, what's his name, James Dean, kind of a tough guy, tough gal look, but it's leather, and it's a nice, fun accessory. You can wear it with slacks, you can wear it with a skirt. Not the best if you work in a conservative environment, but that's a real, real big look. Sometimes leather caps, reflecting back on the 50s and 60s motorcycle gangs wore Then what is a real fun piece and a very big look and an easy way to incorporate this into our wardrobe is a bright color coat. Now, we're not talking about multicolors. We're talking about bright, in some cases, even neon colors. It really makes a statement. It's worn over neutrals, worn usually over black. And it's either a wrap coat where there is like a bathrobe tie or buttoned, but it is very bright color coat. And that's 
kind of fun because that it would be one to keep around as well. Now, another thing we're seeing for menswear as well as women's, and this is really big, and I know that Michelle Obama enjoys these, are cardigans, plain old, simple cardigan sweaters. Not plain old because they are new and updated, essentially a lot of thinner fabrics. A cardigan is a sweater that has a deep what we call a trench, but a V in front. So the buttons don't start up near your neck. They start mid-chest, around your breastbone, and then there might be eight, ten buttons. When you do wear a cardigan, women and men, traditionally, if you wear a cardigan buttoned, you start with the top button and usually leave the bottom two or so buttons open. It looks more relaxed that way. It's also, I know Michelle Obama, our first lady, wears a thin cardigan over a blouse or over a tee and will have a skirt or slacks and then a nice little thin belt. And if it's a thin cardigan knit, it uh, lends itself to a belt. But it's just a really nice look. And I'll tell you, Mike, this cardigan look is really big right now because it's layering. Another real big look is a white shirt, and that's another nice kind of a no-brainer, if you will. Some of them have flourishes, but a beautiful, crisp white blouse. A tip, Mike, if our listeners do have uh, especially a cotton blouse, it is going to yellow if one dry cleans it. So my advice, turn it inside out. Make sure if you have French cuffs that you open up the French cuffs, take off the cufflinks, and put a little liquid detergent on the edges where you're probably going to have a wear line where you rub up against the desk or the kitchen table or what have you. And that will usually have a little staining on it. But if you do launder it, usually that will come out. But it's tricky. It's something that we definitely need to have the input of our human mirror on, in my estimation. And uh, be careful not to dry clean it because that will yellow. As we were preparing for this, you mentioned that you have some fall and winter information for teens, and sometimes it appears that we overlook the teens who may hear the program. Teens are a very, very uh, important part of our listeners, certainly, but also a very important part of the buying public. So I'm going to throw out a couple trends that are very, very big for young men and women, and one of them is scarves. Now, we've talked about scarves for women, these long, casual, whether they be light wool or madras cotton with a little wrinkle, crinkle to them, but a long scarf. And as I said, these are worn for boys and girls. And I live right here in the middle of a number of dormitories for colleges, and I can't tell you, Mike, how many young people I see wearing these. And they're really kind of fun because not only do they keep your neck warm, they are a fashion statement, but they also can be used in a pinch to put over one's uh, ears or neck if the weather changes suddenly, as it often does here in the Midwest. Another look real big for teens are colorful sneakers, and this is kind of a fun way. You know, once again, we're seeing very, very, very lean looks, um, probably been that way for many years, but skinny, skinny, skinny jeans really just almost look like they're spray-painted on, and then with a colorful sneaker. Or what also is really fun is a retro, a very 1960s kind of high top. Now, they're not necessarily from the 60s, but they're made to look like the Converse tennis shoes of the 1960s. And those are a place that I'm finding a lot of color in kind of that wild touch. 
skinny jeans and narrow whale cords. Corduroys, that's what I mean when I say cords. Narrow whale means a very, very thin rib of that corduroy. So when you run your hand against it, you can feel it. It's very thin, a stiff. Uh, they call that a whale, W-A-L-E, when you speak of the fabric. And then a wide whale would be a wider ridge of, it's almost striped, a wider ridge of the corduroy. The wider the whale, the more casual the pant. And plaid shirts, very, very big and, of course, not tucked in. Great place to find, really, um, probably all of these would be at a secondhand shop. And I walk by a number of Salvation Army stores and uh, see a lot of college students in there because they have such a fascinating way of putting this all together. Another place to look for them is your folks' closets. But please let your folks know you're going in there so your mom and or dad don't go in and say, where was my... But if they are going to be putting them on the donate pile, then um, maybe go through the uh, closet with them when they're doing their closet audit this season. Many attendees of this year's convention of the American Council of the Blind were delighted to have the opportunity to meet and visit with Lynn Cooper. You can hear portions of her presentations from the convention in future editions of ACB Reports. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.